Welcome to the podcast of Unity Fort Worth. In it, you'll hear this week's message and meditation. If you'd like to hear and see the complete service, you can always find it at unityfortworth.org or on the Unity Fort Worth Facebook page. Unity Fort Worth focuses on positive and practical Christianity with a willingness to explore the entire world of religion and spiritual thought. Unity Fort Worth streams live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Thanks for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce to you our guest speaker for today, Cantor Sherry Allen. Cantor Sherry is the cantor and co-founder of Macomb Shalanu Congregation in Fort Worth. She is a member of the Cantor's Assembly and serves on their ethics committee, moderates their listserv, and represents the Cantor's Assembly on the Jewish Rohingya Justice Network. An ally and advocate for LGBTQ plus rights and social justice, she serves a number of organizations, including the Rabbinical Assembly Social Justice Commission, the Inclusive Faith Coalition, a group of LGBTQ plus affirming clergy, and the Circle of Clergy an interfaith organization advocating for racial justice in Fort Worth, where she met Reverend John Marie. Please join me in welcoming Cantor Sherry Allen. Thank you so much for having me. Can everyone hear me all right? Okay. Just a caveat, I just had some surgery last week, so I'm just getting my voice back. So if that, um, uh, if if for whatever reason um, you can't hear me, just shout out a little louder or more clearly or something. So, but I'm okay. So I understand that we begin with a meditation or an invocation, a prayer. So I want to offer this one before I begin my remarks. Every morning, one of the first prayers that we say as Jews, and when we pray in the morning, is the Yotzer Or, which means the creator of light. We thank God for giving us a new day for the creation and recreation of the world, and of course just gratitude that the sun comes up every day. So this is a reflection on that prayer by Rabbi Deborah Robbins. It's called Her Light. She gives birth to new light each morning, pink streaks stretching across the sky, the sign of laboring in the dark. She retreats as the light breaks forth. There is the bold, bright, burning light of God, blazing at noon, exploding at sunset. In her light, infinite possibilities for this moment This year, this life, emerge from the shadows. I almost turn away. It seems the dawn will never come. And then, suddenly, her light. I turn toward a new day ready to be filled with patience, with joy, with gifts, and to give my best into the world for no other reason than I am alive. I am grateful. I am blessed. I wait and watch for the glow of Shekhinah rising. She never fails to surprise me with her constancy. From the darkness, light. 
From behind a wave, beneath the trees, into the window, always across the horizon, filling my world with her light. Blessed are you, creator, who creates light and darkness, who makes peace and creates all things. Amen. So exactly three weeks from this very moment, I will be standing before congregants, albeit probably not quite as many, in another church, First Congregational, addressing them much as I address you now, albeit in Hebrew. And while First Congregational members are praying in the main sanctuary, Makom Shalanu, my congregation, we will be fervently praying for forgiveness on the second day of Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, in the small chapel down the hall. We have been graciously gifted this sacred space to use for our services and programs and have happily coexisted with this lovely community for almost a year. This year will be our first High Holy Days, Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement as a congregation, as we've only been in existence since November. And the co-creator and leader of Makom Shalanu, Puck Glass, and I have been preparing for it all summer. We recently finished putting together a 320-page High Holy Day prayer book called a Machsor, which should arrive at my doorstep, God willing, in two days. We have welcomed our very first official members and hope that we have at least the required 10 people to make a prayer quorum when the big day arrives. This is the holiest time in the entire Jewish year, which begins a month before Rosh Hashanah when we engage in serious self-introspection, a process known as teshuvah, or return. We dig deep, uncovering the flaws, mistakes, and unwise choices that we have either denied making or have chosen to forget over the course of the past year. And we seek to rectify them. We are commanded to sincerely apologize to those whom we have hurt and vow not to cause such hurt in the future. We believe that teshuvah, done wholeheartedly, leads to forgiveness from others and ultimately from God so that we can begin a new year with a clean slate. So we don't ring in the new year with bells and whistles or confetti or champagne. Instead, we're commanded to hear the sound of the shofar, the ram's horn, every day during the Hebrew month of Elul, which we just began last week, before the Jewish new year begins on the first day of the Hebrew month of Tishrei, which corresponds this year to the evening of September 15th, so just a few weeks away. The sharp, clear sound of the shofar urges us to wake up, pay attention, and focus on how we can do things differently and live more fully in the short yet precious time that we are gifted on earth. Teshuva is a difficult task. Because we are human, we are flawed, and because we are flawed, we make mistakes. Teshuva is about acknowledging our imperfections our weaknesses, our frailty during these days of awe. And that is both humbling and scary. A powerful prayer called the Unitanetokef describes this feeling of vulnerability. Quote, we are like shattered pottery, like withered grass and like a faded blossom, 
like a passing shadow and like a vanishing cloud and like blowing wind and like sprouting dust and like a dream that will fly away. Now, there's nothing like a reminder of our fleeting existence and pending mortality to lift our spirits as we ring in the new year. It's hard being compared to shattered pottery, to acknowledge the parts of us that may be broken or bruised or in need of tenderness and care. When I was young, I grew up believing that shattering could be avoided, or at least kept at bay indefinitely, if I followed the rules, stayed out of trouble, and avoided unnecessary risk. I intuited this from my mother, who lost her brother when he was only 24. He died of colitis, which was something that, in his case, should not have been fatal. As a busy resident in medical school, he apparently put his own health on the back burner until it was too late. I suspect that my mother never really fully recovered from that loss. Perhaps she felt that she could have prevented it somehow. She was never able to really talk about it or him and instead focused on creating a safe, beautiful, perfect and loving world for my father, me and my siblings. A world in which brokenness didn't exist, where she could protect us from anything or anyone who might try to hurt us, and where there was no need to worry about anything because she and God, whom she prayed to every night, would never let anything bad happen to us. This was her mission, her job, and she devoted her life to making sure she made good on that promise. She couldn't save her brother, so she was fiercely determined to keep us as she repeats verbatim to this day, quote, happy, healthy, and safe. And I have to say, I had a wonderful childhood. I idolized my mother. I thought she was the epitome of perfection in every way. Perpetually cheerful, always telling us that when we were sad or worried, we had the power to overcome our negative thoughts by thinking positively. She was this tiny, thin ball of energy that exuded strength and confidence. And focusing on making her family happy, she never had time to dwell on her own unresolved trauma and, I suspect, convinced herself that she had successfully healed without any visible scarring. Until I ventured out into the world myself, I always felt like my mom was in control completely together, always on high alert and able to ward off anything that might endanger our sense of safety and security. I'm not exactly sure how old I was when I began to suspect that my mom was not superhuman. But through the years when I no longer lived at home and began to filter things through my own lens and not hers, I began to see how much effort it took for her to hide any hint of weakness, doubt, or fear. She was so good at it for so long, but eventually it caught up to her. Even after my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, she continued to believe that she could take care of everything and that this too was something that she could, well, if not fix, at least control. Now, what I'm about to tell you might seem completely off topic, but just stay with me. My parents had a whimsical metal sculpture they bought years ago that we affectionately called Mr. Balloon Man. A thin French gentleman measuring about five feet tall, 
Mr. Balloon Man stood on one foot, delicately balanced on the seat of an old-fashioned bicycle, the other foot dangling behind him, toes pointed like a dancer. One tiny hand grasped the strings of seven multicolored glass balloons. The other gracefully stretched out behind him. He looked poised and ready for liftoff, reaching upward, waiting for the balloons to take him away beyond the heavy beams that stretched across the ceiling. My parents' home, located in what was once an active military base called Fort Sheridan, was formerly a horse stables, hence the wood-beamed ceiling. So it was basically one huge open concept room sectioned off into specific living spaces. Mr. Balloon Man was one of their most cherished possessions, and they wanted him prominently displayed. So he lived in the intersection between the living and the dining room area. The floor was all hardwood, door to door, perfect for running and sliding from one end of the house to the other, which was great fun for all their grandchildren when they were young, and not very much fun at all for my parents or Mr. Balloon Man, who was in the path of anything or anyone that moved. My sister Jill was convinced that Mr. Balloon Man, a perfect picture of grace, balance, and beauty, was enjoying his, her words, temporary state of unbrokenness before an unintentional collision would inevitably return him to his original condition, in pieces. We tried to convince my parents to relocate Mr. B before their ever-growing brood of energetic grandchildren came to visit or before any large family gathering, but my mother would hear none of it. She felt that Mr. Balloon Man was firmly cemented on a stone block, able to withstand any force that might try to break him. So every joyous, crowded celebration had an underlying sense of foreboding for us siblings as we held our breath, hoping our children would not be the cause of Mr. Balloon Man's ultimate demise. Well, decades have passed since then. The ever-growing number of small grandchildren topped out at eight, and they are all fully grown adults now. When my father passed away six and a half years ago after that heartbreaking and difficult struggle with Alzheimer's, my mother insisted on staying in their spacious house surrounded and protected by her memories. But now, she was no longer able or interested in modeling the positive, brave, in control persona that served her so well throughout her life. She was lost without him. Her foundation crumbled. She questioned her faith. Life no longer made sense. She was not interested in receiving help or talking to anyone about it. She refused to believe she needed it. Over the next few years, she began to cognitively decline as well, and it was no longer safe for her to live alone. So we siblings had to step in and take control, the control that she had fought so hard to maintain for 80 years. She now resides in a small but lovely two-bedroom apartment in an assisted living community. We had to give away so many beautiful things she and my dad had collected over a lifetime together, as there was simply no room. But Mr. Balloon Man was not one of them. He now stands proudly on wall-to-wall -wall carpeting, continuing against all odds to maintain his temporary state of unbrokenness. Watching my mom lose her zest for life 
her optimism, her faith that everything happened for a reason and everything would always be okay because she willed it so, not only scared me, but it angered me. I felt betrayed. This wasn't the person I knew. I had bought into this narrative my whole life, and now I too had to admit, to admit that it was just not true. Of course, I always knew it was not true, but being my mother's daughter, it was just easier to archive unpleasant thoughts and live in blissful denial. And now the jig was up. And because her memory was slowly failing her, I couldn't even express how I felt to her. But it has taken me 60 years to understand that my mother did not intentionally try to mislead us or keep us in the dark about how harsh and cruel and dangerous the world could be. She simply found a way to survive it, the only way she knew how. Years ago, I had a revelation. Perhaps Mom and Mr. Balloon Man were metaphorical kindred spirits. Much as she tried all her life to deny it, she was, just like him, a fragile and delicate creation, just trying to keep herself on solid ground. And just like Mr. B, fiercely gripping all those brightly colored glass balloons, most of the time she convinced herself that if she just held on tight enough to the beautiful and precious things in her life, she and they too would be safe. She, like all of us, was a shattered piece of pottery whose cracks were finally beginning to show. But Rabbi Gordon Fuller draws our attention to that shattered pottery reference, noting that, quote, there is only one place in the whole Bible where the word for pottery, cheres, is coupled with the Hebrew root for shattering. And it's Leviticus 6.21, quote, an earthen vessel in which it, the sin offering, was boiled shall be broken. In other words, a pot made of earthenware, when it came into contact with something that was impure, was also rendered impure and therefore unusable. But our sages say otherwise. Rabbi Gordon teaches, quote, rabbinic literature ruled that earthen vessels could, vessels could be purified by being broken. In fact, both the Mishnah and Tosefta, which is the oral rabbinic literature that is just as sacred as the Torah itself, they rule that for earthenware, Brokenness is the only possible method of purification. The Mishnah expl explicitly advocates reassembling and refusing the shards of the once impure, contaminated utensil as a means of rendering it from that point on pure and usable again, unquote. So here's how Rabbi Fuller makes lemonade out of lemons in an earthenware pitcher, no doubt. He reframes the image of us as shattered pottery, God's flawed earthenware vessels, after all we are all created from the dust of the earth, into a hopeful one, stating the deep truth embedded in the image of this broken earthenware is that hope and affirmation grow paradoxically out of fracture because our hearts have the capacity to break when we acknowledge our existential errors. We have hope. It is never futile to attend to the renewal and purification of the shards of our earthen lives." Unquote. 
Who can better appreciate life's most exquisite moments than those who experienced the most painful ones? And who can better be equipped to help someone who is trying to pick up the pieces of their own shattered life than someone who has been there and has gathered those pieces themselves? Out of pain can come purpose. Out of brokenness can come beauty. Years ago, I read a delightful story by Rabbi Francine Green Rostin, which really resonated with me. I wonder if you've heard the story as well. It goes like this. Many years ago in India, a water bearer would go down to a stream with two pots hanging on either side of a pole that he balanced across his shoulders. After drawing water in each pot, he would walk home, but when he arrived, one pot would be full of water, but the other pot was only half full as it was cracked. For years, the water bearer trudged back and forth, and the cracked pot was so humiliated. He felt useless and depressed, a literal drain on his poor friend, the water bearer. Unable to bear it any longer, the pot poured, no pun intended, out his apologies to the man, crying, over the years that I've helped you, I've never been able to deliver a full load of water for you. I've never been able to do my fair share. You work so hard, but because of my crack, you never get the full amount of water. So your efforts are never completely rewarded, and it's all because of me and my crack. The man tried to reassure him and told him that when they fetched water again, the pot needed to look over on his side of the path. On the way back from collecting water, with the water leaking out the crack, the pot looked at the side of the road and was astounded to see an entire field of lovely flowers blooming. The man explained, have you noticed that these gorgeous flowers are only on your side of the path? It's because I knew that the water leaked from your crack, so I planted seeds along the way. That way, Every day, when we walked back up to the house, you watered the seeds. Without your crack, we wouldn't have these colorful flowers to brighten my day and bring beauty to the world. So I need to thank you. Thank you for being a cracked pot. Life leaves us exposed. But I think one of the messages of the high holy days for me is that as vulnerable as we are, as hurt and fractured and flawed as we might become, God has given us this amazing ability to heal. We won't be the same. We'll be worn around the edges and we'll have scars that will leave a mark on us forever. But those scars will also be a permanent reminder that we have survived. When the Israelites wandered through the wilderness, Moses made sure that both the tablets broken after the golden calf, as well as the second whole set, were both carried together in the ark. Perhaps this too served to remind the people of who they were and who they could still hope to become, and that God would always accompany us in our brokenness, helping us move ever forward toward wholeness. I've got to hand it to my mom. Despite the enormous risk of breakage, she chose to let Balloon Man stand his ground. And he's still standing. And so is my mother. 
For so much of my life, she was the embodiment of strength and perfection. She spent so much effort showing us that although you may be directly in the path of harm's way, if you remain on that solid ground and balance whatever life throws at you, you are going to be fine. And against the odds, Mr. Balloon Man was proof of that. And so was she. But underneath the armor-like exterior, she was not always fine. And I only wish she could have shared that part of her with us earlier. So I've come to believe that maybe Mom and Mr. B are not really the kindred spirits I thought they were. Although the balloons are made of glass, Mr. Balloon Man is made of metal and stone. He was much more protected from breakage than we ever gave him credit for. That's just how he was built. But humans aren't built that way. We are fragile from the get-go. And strength, maybe even more accurately, resiliency, grows over time nurtured by showing vulnerability, admittedly not having all the answers, and asking for help when life gets overwhelming. These are not signs of weakness. They are acts of courage. When I was young, I idolized my mother, but I appreciate and love her even more now that I can see her as a whole, beautifully imperfect human being one who now has no choice but to depend and rely on us to help make sense of her life as she navigates elderhood and the challenges that come with it. Whether or not it's a miracle that Mr. Balloon Man still has nary a scratch on him, despite years of near misses, the real miracle is that my mom, even with her metaphorical cracks now exposed, is actually okay. She's made friends at her facility. She is the literal life of any party, dancing like a demon when there's music on and encouraging others to come up and join her and going to every single event on her schedule of activities every day, even if she can't remember them hours later. She knows things have changed and admits that her, quote, memory isn't what it used to be, unquote, but she is slowly beginning to accept that, as my father would say, it is what it is. After being so resilient, resistant, resistant to change all her life, at 85, she's becoming resilient. She's adjusting to her new life. And that life, if not always kind, can still be, as she still tells me on a daily basis, very pleasant. My mother is a model of teshuva, return, to what, in effect, we are all created to be, human. And her newfound inner strength leaves Mr. Balloon Man in the dust. The high holy days remind me, remind us, how blessed we are to just be alive, to have made it through another year. May we all acknowledge the sacredness that comes from being God's earthly vessels. And whether we are still in a temporary state of unbrokenness or still picking up our individual pieces, may we all recognize and embrace the hope and renewal that meets us each day. May it be God's will. We say amen. For the meditation, I guess you would say, I am going to, I've chosen a psalm 
that I'm going to read and then sing a psalm of David, Psalm 27, which we say every single day of this month of Elul, the month before we enter the new Jewish year. It is translated, I'm not going to read it to you in Hebrew, it's translated by Rabbi Simcha Weintraub. And I imagine that most of you who are pretty well-versed in your psalms will hopefully recognize this. Adonai is my light and my help. Whom shall I fear? Adonai is the strength of my life. Who can make me afraid? When evil people draw near to devour my flesh, it is these foes and enemies who stumble and fall. Even if an army rises up against me, my heart will have no fear. Even if a whole war besets me, I will still feel secure. One thing I ask from Adonai, one thing I seek, to dwell in Adonai's house all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of Adonai, to explore Adonai's sanctuary. Adonai will shelter me in a sukkah on an evil day. Adonai will conceal me in the shelter, the secret shelter of a tent, raise me up safely upon a rock. My head is high above my enemies around me. I sacrifice in Adonai's tent to the blasts of trumpets, singing and chanting a hymn to Adonai. God, Shema, hear my voice when I call. Have mercy on me and respond. You seek my heart. My heart seeks you. I seek your presence. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have always been my help, so do not abandon me. Do not forsake me, my God, my saving one. Even if my father and mother, my parents, abandon me, Adonai would gather me in. Teach me your ways, Adonai. Guide me on a straight and level path because of my watchful enemies. Do not hand me over to my foes. Ignore the false witnesses and unjust accusers who rise up against me, breathing violence. I believe I will yet see Adonai's goodness in the land of life. Hope in Adonai. Be strong inside and let your heart be brave. Yes, yes, hope in Adonai. Achachalti me'ed Adonai. Achachalti otavakesh. Shivti, shivti beved Adonai. Shivti, shivti. Adonai. 
lachazot binoam Adonai to gaze upon the beauty of Adonai. One thing, one thing, I ask you, Adonai, to be with you all of my life. One thing, one thing, I ask you, Adonai, to be with you all of my life. Achatshalti me'et Adonai. Achat shalti otavakesh. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Unity Fort Worth podcast. You just heard this week's message and meditation. For the live streams and more information, go to unityfortworth.org.